And I want to speak to you about the, from the subject of restoration. Someone say restoration. How many of you are thankful that we serve a God that can restore? So when we talk about the resurrection power of God working in our lives, one of the ways that God resurrects things in our lives is that he restores things. Amen. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I hope you are ready. We're going to dive into the scriptures today and I think we're going to see some stuff. And I know these are familiar stories, but I believe that it's going to come out in such a fresh way and God's going to speak to us. Are you ready? All right. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. So Jesus is at the last supper with his disciples. And this is the, we're going to look at when Jesus is telling Peter, he's going to deny him. Right. But we're going to begin with something interesting. You ready? Verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, someone say it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now stop right there. This is incredible because Jesus is quoting directly from the Old Testament. He's actually quoting a messianic prophecy. He's quoting directly from the Old Testament and he's telling his disciples at at, at the Last Supper. He's saying to this very night, you're going to be scattered. It's been prophesied. You're going to be scattered. And the shepherd is going to be struck. So it's, it's incredible. He's, he's literally prophesying to them what's going to happen based upon what's been prophesied out of scripture. Okay. But he says this. But after I have been raised. After what happens. After what happened last week. On Easter. He said after I have been raised. I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus is prophesying him. He goes, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be struck. You're going to be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And so when he's saying this, he's saying this in Jerusalem. He's crucified in Jerusalem and all of these events and even the the, the events after a lot of it's happening in Jerusalem. But Jesus is prophesying, I'm going to meet you in Galilee after I've been raised up. Are you tracking with me? And Peter answered and said to him. And this is, this is where we're going to get into the meat and potatoes. Peter answered to him and said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even I have to, even if I have to die with you. I will, I will not deny you. So said all his disciples. This, I know this is a very familiar passage of scripture, but you can already see this dynamic. I mean, this preaches itself. Jesus is, Peter is, he hears Jesus say these words and he's saying, Jesus, even if everyone else betrays you and runs away, I'm not. He said, I will never stumble. Emphasis on the I. I will never stumble. Peter's got, okay, let's just keep going. There's a, it's well in, Peter means well, but there's some, there's some pride here. Jesus is trying to have a very serious conversation and Peter's saying, no, I will never stumble. There's a lot of I in his statement that we can all identify with. 
It's not just Peter, but that we can all identify with. And Jesus knows this, and Jesus, th- Jesus is probably thinking in his mind, okay, Peter, you're going to go through some things in the next couple of days. Let's, let's keep going, right? Luke chapter 22. Luke records this same occurrence, but listen to what Luke adds. Luke, Luke adds something very significant. I want us to see this. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. That he may sift you as wheat. This is incredible. Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked for you. But, everyone say but. Jesus said, I have prayed for you. Okay, I'm already getting the Holy Ghost goosebumps right there. Just let me... Let me just stop. We stop right there. It means a lot when people pray for you. We all love. I love. I love when when someone says I've been praying for you. I love it. Let me say if someone ever tells me I've been praying for you. I take it. I love that. I covet as many prayers and I know you're the same. Anyone that wants to pray for me. I will take it. But there's nothing like when Jesus prays for you. And I'll tell you, one of the benefits of belonging to him is that he actually prays for you. The Bible tells us this, that he's at the right hand of the Father and he ever makes intercession for us. How many know it's serious? Let me me put it this way. How many know when Jesus prays, his prayers always get answered? Am I right? So, So listen, he's telling Peter, Simon, Satan has asked for you. But I have interceded and I have prayed for you. Listen to what he tells Simon. Listen to this. I have prayed that your faith should not fail you. That your faith should not fail. But this, listen to what he says. He's prophesying. Here he goes, prophesying again. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. This is, I just love the Bible. I mean, I, I, I'm not even doing anything right now. We're just reading scripture. You, I mean, you're, you're, you, it's already hitting your heart. Jesus said, Satan has asked for you, but I have prayed for you. Then he prophesies, when you have returned to me. He, it's, it's not even a debate. He's saying, he's basically telling Peter, Peter, you're going to fall. I know you think that you can't fail, but that's because your trust right now is in the wrong place. Your confidence is in the flesh. Your confidence is in yourself. There's a lot of, right now, and he means well, but there's a lot of pride here. And Jesus is saying, Peter, the enemy, right now, you're right for the, pl- for the plucking. And the enemy is after you, but I've prayed for you. And you're going to fail. But listen to what Jesus says. When you have returned. In other words, when you have fallen and you've been broken. And when you were, he's prophesying. He says, Once you have repented, I'm paraphrasing, once you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. This is incredible. I just, I love Jesus. Oh my God. But listen again, Peter said, I tell you, no, no. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. 
And really quickly, you don't have to turn there, but I just, I just want to read from John's gospel really quick. John 13, verse 36. John records this as well. It's recorded in all of the, the gospels. But listen to what John emphasizes. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where, am I, uh, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow me after. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. But listen, John adds this. This is a, a unique feature. Next verse, 38. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life? You see that? He, he, he's not just responding. John records him asking him a question. And of course, for Jesus, it's a rhetorical question. Jesus knows the answer. But why do you think he's asking Peter? He's, he's, he's asking Peter because he knows. Peter's not ready yet. One day Peter will, one day Peter's actually going to lay down his life. But Jesus knows there's still something in Peter that's got to die. See, Jesus knows there's still something in Peter that's got to get worked out. Peter's going to, unfortunately, Peter's going to have to go through some pain and failure. And unfortunately, he's going to have to go through brokenness. But God knows on the other side of this, there is a great calling on his life. But see, many times before God can work through you, he has to work in you. He has, and, and, and Jesus knows this, and that's why he asked Peter, Peter, will you lay down your life? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Someone say three times. So, this, so really quick, moving forward, but we gotta just, let's just make sure we capture everything that's happening here. Jesus prophesies to all of his disciples, you're going to be scattered, but when I'm re- resurrected, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Amen? Jesus, then, the, 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 the story, even though Jesus is telling all of his disciples, the, the story gets real specific on Peter because Jesus is prophesying to Peter, you're not only going to be scattered, you're going to deny me. And Jesus tells Peter... That Satan has asked for him. And he wants to sift him like wheat. And let let me just stop here for a second. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But you know you have an adversary, right? See, God has a plan for you. Heaven has a plan for you. But so does the enemy. And trust me when I tell you. Not only the adversary. But demonic forces are are intentional and are ruthless at setting themselves against you and your purpose. Th- their interest is to stop you. It's, if they can cause you to fail, if they can cause you to quit, if they can cause you to stumble, if they can cause you to give up, that's what they're after. That's what they want. And Jesus is telling Peter, Satan himself has asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. And so we have an adversary. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to spend too much time talking about the devil. He's a jerk. We all know that. But, but, but listen, you, can't, you, don't need, you don't pay too much attention to him, but you can't also, you can't completely ignore him either because you've got to be able to recognize when, when you have demonic opposition in your life. When, 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 there is, when the adversary and demonic forces are setting themselves against you, it's interesting that, that later on is Peter in his epistle that tells us to be sober-minded and to be vigilant, to be aware of the schemes of the devil. Why do you think Peter is telling you that? Because Peter has been through this before. 
And so we've got to be aware. I, I don't believe on focusing too much on the enemy because he's a jerk and he's a punk. He's defeated. But you've got to be aware. So, so, so moving on. Then he says this. Then the Lord um, told Peter that, that he would fall, but that he would return to him. Then he tells him that he will deny, deny him. But then Peter argues with Jesus and Mark's gospel emphasizes this. When Mark gives his an account, Mark tells us that Peter doesn't just argue with Jesus. He doesn't just tell Jesus, no, I'll never deny you. Mark actually emphasizes that, that Peter gets very emotional. He vehemently tells Jesus, I will not. Very sure of himself, right? And then John emphasizes this. This question where Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, will you die? For, will you lay down your life for me? Now, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Are you guys with me? I'm just building my case and then I'm, I'm building the fire and then we're going to preach. All right. Track with me. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. This is the, this is the, the account where Peter denies him. So we're going to read. I'm just going to read through this really quickly. Verse 54, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Jesus has been, been arrested. Now when they have, listen to this, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. So they've arrested Jesus and they brought him to this place. And in the courtyard, someone builds a fire and Peter joins a group by the fire. And what Peter is doing, Peter's basically watching what's happening, but he's keeping his distance. You with me? And so now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Listen to this. And a certain servant girl seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. Listen to what Peter said. But he denied him saying, woman, I do not know him. After a little while, another saw him and said, you also also are of them. But Peter said, I like how it, it, it phrases it. He said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And then it says this, immediately while he was speaking, while Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed. And listen to Luke's detail. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. And if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, they did such an amazing job of emphasizing this moment. If you remember when Jesus is being beaten and accused and mocked, at, at, at that point in the movie, Jesus' eye was swollen shut so, so he could only see out of one eye. And, and, and I love uh, Mel Gibson and, and the, the, the producers. They did such a good job at showing this moment. 
that, that Pete, you know, Peter's there and they're saying, oh, you're one of it. And, and he's denying them. And, and right as the third time as he denies him in the movie, Jesus looks up with one eye swollen shut from being beaten. And he looks at Peter with the only eye that he has open. Y'all remember that scene? And Peter just is frozen and, and, and tears begin to well up in his eyes. And in the movie, he starts to run out and some of the other disciples, they try to stop him. And he says, no, don't, don't talk to me. He said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. This, there's no getting around this situation. It's ugly. This is what you would call an epic failure. Right? They all messed up. They all ran. But Peter, and you have to understand, they're all called, you know, they're all commissioned to be apostles and disciples and all those things. But Peter's kind of like the leader of the bunch. He's kind of like the unspoken leader. Jesus has already affirmed many times that Peter is going to be a leader in what God is doing. Peter's always kind of at the forefront. He's a natural leader. He's kind of, I mean, out of all of them, you would expect, you would expect this, but Peter would probably be the one that you least expected. But this, so Peter is, but this is an epic failure. I mean, I, I don't have to convince you. I think you know this. Denying Christ is up there with the worst. Not that there's a list or we need to, I, I'm saying, but if we were to make a list, how many know putting denying Christ up there is pretty up there. Jesus heard. I mean, Peter heard Jesus say, if you deny me in front of men, I will deny you in front of my father. This is epic failure. There's no sugarcoating this. This is a major sin. This is not like, this is, this is terrible. Am I right? And you see that immediately the Bible says, and Peter left and it says he wept bitterly. Bitterly. How, let me ask you a question. So right after, immediately after this is happening, Peter's weeping and he's, and he's running out and he's just, he's just running hysterically. I don't know where he goes to. He's just going, he's just wondering. Do you think in that moment, Peter's, do you think that he's feeling like, man, I, I, I am a mighty man of God. I have a purpose. I have a destiny. I'm going to do great things for the Lord. Do you think he's feeling like that right now? No. Peter, this has shattered him. Peter is a mess. He, talk about failure. Just think about this for a second. If Imagine denying Christ in front of Christ and having Christ look at you while he's being beaten to go to the cross for you. This is... I honestly think that Peter, I think if, if that would have been me, I would have left that place, not only weeping, but in agony. I don't know what he must have been. I, I actually thought this week, who knows what kind of frame of mind. I wouldn't have even been surprised if Peter left that place with suicidal thoughts. I'm being serious. He probably left that place feeling like nothing. Worthless. How can I come back from this? This is, this is. And you know what's interesting? Something I thought about that the rooster crowed, right? And, and it's interesting because I was raised in the city, right? So I know nothing about farm animals, right? But apparently, because see, when this is happening, this is in the middle of the night. This is around, most scholars will say between midnight and the early hours of the morning. Apparently, roosters don't just crow at sunrise. I didn't know that. 
I was raised in the city. Of course, they, they, they do crow every sunrise. But they also, when I was, I had to Google it. <laughs> they also, though, crow. It's, it's not uncommon for them to crow a few times a day. Through, ran, and sometimes even randomly. And I thought to myself, so Peter hears this rooster crow. He leads in this state of just shattered. I don't, I don't, he probably didn't go to sleep that night. I'm just assuming. But imagine when the sun came up and he heard this. It's, it's funny to us, but it wasn't funny to him. From that point forward, and remember, this is first century Israel. There's animals everywhere. That, from that moment forward, every time Peter hears a rooster crow, it's a reminder of his sin. And it's a reminder of how much he's failed. So Peter, Peter leaves that night devastated and the sun comes up and he hears the rooster cry again. And I would, I'm sure he had another meltdown. And then imagine, no, seriously, imagine the night, the, the, the evening that Jesus is crucified. Imagine Peter going to sleep that night and imagine the day after Jesus has been crucified. Imagine him having to be woken up by the sound of a rooster again. He, he went to sleep and now he has to wake up again. And the, what's the first thing that hits him that morning? He hears another rooster. And what does that rooster remind him of? I'm a failure. Anyone ever been there where it, 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 it could go so many ways, but have you ever been in a place where something in your life is there and it's a constant reminder of what you've done or how you failed God or what you didn't do or what, does that make sense? Anyone ever been there? As strange as it sounds for some, for some people, it's a sound for some people, it's a sight for some people, it's a place. But I believe Peter was living in inner turmoil. He is a wreck. He has, he has betrayed Jesus. He has failed Jesus. He has sinned. He has fallen. And not only that, now he has to hear a rooster crow several times a day and hear himself reminded. His sense of purpose, his sense of destiny crushed. But that's not the end of his story. Come with me to John chapter 21. This is going to be our main text today. Are you guys with me? And I'm, I'm, and I'm hurrying. Are you with me? I want to get to the good stuff now. I want to, I want to, I want to, in these next 10, 15 minutes that we have, I want to preach and I want, to, I want us to see something about how good of a God we serve. And I want us to see how God restores restores and how God loves to restore. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures. Okay, you ready? We're going to go do this quick. You with me? This is in John chapter 21. Jesus has been resurrected and remember his prophecy. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Remember that. So Jesus has resurrected. He's already met his disciples a couple of times. And, he, and then they go to Galilee because they were told to. And it's been prophesied to them that Jesus would meet them there. So that's the setting of, of, of John chapter 21. His disciples are there and they're waiting for Jesus. All right. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. 
And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were there together. So they're, they're just there. They're just waiting. They're on, they're on the shores of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And listen to what Simon said. Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. Sounds about right. What else do you do? I mean, you're sitting there, you're waiting. He's like, we're waiting for Jesus. I'm just going to go fishing. After all, he was a fisherman, right? This is what he does. Then the other disciples said to him, we're going to go with you. And you know, it's funny because even in these little instances, you can kind of see that Peter's a natural leader. They, they kind of follow his lead on a lot of things. Even in this moment, Peter's like, hey guys, I'm going fishing. They're like, hey, we'll follow you. Well, let's go fishing. We've got nothing else to do. It says they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. How many of you are familiar with this story? Actually, there's two stories. I, I, there's two stories and different stories in the gospel about when they were fishing. Just FYI, this is another occurrence, by the way. And, it's, and it's, it says that they were fishing all night and they caught nothing. But listen, then the morning, someone said the morning had now come and Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. After Jesus was resurrected, there are several encounters that Jesus has. Notice that a lot of people at first were not able to recognize him. When, when, G, when Jesus is resurrected and Mary encounters Jesus, she thought he was the gardener. On the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that their eyes were withheld with strain from seeing who Jesus was. They didn't know who this man was. And in this story, it says that they couldn't tell it was Jesus. Now, I don't know if it's because they weren't allowed to see yet or because they were in the boat and he was on the shore. But he was on the shore. And this is what Jesus said. He said, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it down. And now they they caught so much they were not able to draw it up because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, John said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now watch this. I love the detail. Watch this. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he had uh, taken it off. Basically, he took his shirt off to fish, okay? In modern vernacular. And, he, and then he, he, so he puts back his, on, his, on his clothes and he plunged into the sea. But the other, other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now stop right there. I love the scriptures. Do you see the drama a little bit here? So so Jesus says, let down your net. Once they catch the fish, John turns to Peter and says, Peter, it's the Lord. What does Peter do? Peter immediately throws on his clothes and he jumps into the ocean. Peter's not waiting for the boat to get back. Peter says, I got to get to him right now. Okay, number one, that's the first thing. Because see, they've already seen Jesus at least twice before this event. But see, and, 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 
But, but there's still something in Peter that's carrying the guilt and the shame of what he's done. He's happy, of course, and full of joy that Jesus has resurrected. But Peter, I believe, is still feeling like a failure. And that's why when he sees Jesus, there's this urgency to get to him. There's this urgency to be with him because the last, but before Jesus is resurrected, the last thing that Jesus sees is Peter's denying him. So he sees Jesus and he's desperate to get to him. And the other thing that I find interesting, so Peter gets to the shore before the rest of them, they bring the fish. Then it says, Peter went and drugged the whole net by himself. Listen, it says it right here. It says, it says, then Simon Peter went and dragged the net to land full of fish. He, he's kind of going overboard, right? It's a, it's a little bit dramatic. He jumps out, can't wait to get to the ocean. Then, then the rest of the disciples uh, come to shore. And what does Peter do? He doesn't even wait. He runs out and he grabs all the fish and he brings it in. It's almost like he's trying really hard. It's like he's trying really hard to make up for what he's done. It's like, like, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading this, I'm seeing desperation in him. Like, Jesus, I failed you, but I'm still your guy. Look, I, I can't wait to get to you. I'll, here's the fish. Look, Lord, he, 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 he's, he's going above and beyond because there's something in Peter that's trying to work back and to make up for what he's done. Are you catching me this morning? There's a, there's a sense of desperation in Peter. It says, Lord, I'm, I'm still your guy. And, and what's fascinating to me about this is for me, this is a full circle moment for Peter. Because if you'll recall three years earlier, it's in this exact type of setting that Jesus finds Peter and calls him to follow him. How many of you know that's true? Flashback three years before this, before anything, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees Andrew and Peter fishing and he tells them both, put down your nets and follow me. Three years later, he's been with Jesus, he's been a disciple of Jesus, but now this time he is a mess and he's a failure. But I can't help but think about this is how God works. Things come full circle and he's right back in a similar setting fishing when Jesus originally called him. Isn't that just like God? How many of you have ever been there where God will bring things full circle and, and, and you're right, you feel like you're right back where you started, but that's right where God wants you to be. Peter is right back where Jesus called him. And I can't help but see this because this is how God works. You know, a lot of times what's interesting, maybe he felt some comfort in being back in a similar uh, environment. But a lot of times when when we're broken or when we're dealing with shame or guilt or all that stuff, a lot of times we want to run from what's familiar. Like I know, I know, I know people, they think moving to a different city or going to a different church or changing the job. They think that just because they changed their location, that that means that that's going to fix what's here. But this is proof that sometimes God needs you just where you are, where, where in your environment, where you, where he originally found you. 
Because run, just running to a different location or moving to a different city, although sometimes that is good. But what I'm saying is that's not necessarily going to fix what's wrong. And when Jesus finds Peter here again, he finds him back right where he originally called him. I love that. I love that. This is a familiar setting. Things are coming full circle. But, but then he says in, in, in verse 11, he says, then Simon went up and dragged the fish. We know that. Then Jesus said, then he said this, come and eat breakfast. You, you want to know how good God is? God is the only person I know that will cook breakfast for men who have betrayed him and denied him so passionately. But, 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 but again, this story is incredible because all of his disciples are coming to eat breakfast. But again, the story is focusing on Peter. There's another parallel here. The Bible says that, that Jesus was sitting on the shore and it says this. It says that he was sitting around a fire. And apparently, I don't know, Jesus already had fish and loaves. So either he went fishing or he had done another miracle. <laughs> fish has probably appeared. Because it says when they got to the shore, he already had some breakfast on the stove. And he said, hey, bring, bring the rest of it. <laughs> but he's sitting around a fire. And he invites the disciples. But the story again is focusing on Peter. He says, hey, come sit by the fire and eat breakfast with me. Remember, when Peter denied Jesus, he was around a campfire. The Bible says that when, 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 when they brought Jesus in after he was arrested, Peter stood by the fire to keep himself warm. And he watched from a distance. And it was by a fire that he denied him. Three times. <laughs> and now in John chapter 21, Jesus is sitting there by a fire and he says, Peter, come sit by the fire with me. And let's eat breakfast. Oh my God. Do you know, you know what's crazy? I think half of our battle sometimes is actually believing that God is as good as he says he is. God invites the man who's supposed to be his main guy, who's failed him the most. He says, come and sit with me by a fire and let's eat. But it doesn't stop there. It says this, come and eat breakfast. When someone needs to write a book, when God cooks you breakfast, all right. He says, you denied me in front of a fire. Let's eat some breakfast around a fire. Let's have a conversation. And this is what he says. Jesus said to them, right? And he says, they ate breakfast. Yet none of the disciples asked him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Verse 15. And I'm almost done. Are you with me? So when Peter had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Listen to Peter's response. He says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Do you see the difference in his tone here? You know. Now the emphasis is not on I. I. 
When he's at the table, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. I will never. I won't stumble. They may, not me. Over here, do you love me? You know that I love you. Do you see the, the humility? Because over here, when there's pride, remember when I said God has to work in you to work through you? Peter wasn't ready yet. He thought he was ready. But there was something in Peter that had to die. It was his pride. It was his confidence in himself alone. And it was his... And, and Jesus, Jesus knew this. And he said, I just got to let, see, sometimes God just has to sit back and let us do things. And, and but see, on the other side of this, Pete, the tone has changed. Why? Because when, when you have fallen into sin or when you've been in a place of brokenness, you come out of a place of brokenness, you, you're not bragging on yourself anymore. And this is what Peter says. Peter says, sorry, I'm getting emotional because. Because see, this is how God works. This is how he works. This is minute. I know, I don't know who this is for this morning. And Peter says, you know that I love you. And this is what he says. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him again, Simon, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And listen, it says Peter was grieved because the Lord had to ask him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, listen to this. This is where you want to be. This statement right here. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. On that side, there's so much certainty about himself. But on this side, there's, Lord, you know. The same way you knew that I would portray you. You know I'm broken. You know I love you the best that I can. I don't know how else to say. See, uh, see. It's, see, it's, sometimes it takes going through brokenness to get to that place where you say, Lord, you know all things. Or let me keep it going, okay? It's, this is not necessarily this particular scripture, but this same conclusion could be said different ways. Lord, you know all things. Lord, your ways are right. I should have I listened. But Lord, you know all things and you know that I loved you and I, that I love you. But here's what I love about this moment. This is, this to me is one of the best pictures of restoration and how good God is. Because he asked Simon three times, do you love me? And then what does he say? Okay, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, right? Feed my sheep. In other words, for every time that Peter denied him, the Lord spoke a word of, ref, of affirmation and restoration over him. You denied me the first time. Now I'm going to speak life over you. Second time, 
tend my sheep. Third time, feed my sheep. In other words, for every time he had failed, the Lord had a word of restoration over him. And the Lord was restoring Peter. Because you have to understand, when he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, all that, he's speaking to Peter's calling. Peter is called to be a mighty man of God. He's called to be an apostle to the nations. He's called to be a leader in the church. And he's saying, so when he says, tend my sheep, that's not just, he's, he's speaking to his purpose. He's saying, Peter, tend my sheep. Be who I've called you to be. Imagine what Peter must have felt like. Because do you think that moment that he failed, all of that seemed lost and it could never be found again. And here he is. And God is so good. Now let, think about this. God is so good. He's cooking them breakfast. And he invites them into restoration. And I want you to point this out. I'm out of time. But if, can, you, can I have two more minutes? This is how good God is. You notice that God, and when I say God, this is God in the flesh. You notice that Jesus is not having to beat Peter's, Peter over the head or even remind him what he did. You notice that? The reason is very simple. It's because he doesn't have to. Peter has been living with this agony, this shame, this guilt, and this torment every day since he did it. And every morning when he got up and throughout the day, anytime he heard a rooster, he was reminded of what he did. Peter's been living in agony. The Lord didn't even have to bring it up. Why? Because Pete, when, he, when, he found, when he finds Peter on the beach this day, it's a different Peter than the Peter that was at the table. Because you see, when he finds Peter, he's in a state of brokenness, repentance, and humility. And we know, we know repentant because it says after he denied Jesus, it says he wept bitterly. And the Bible says godly sorrow leadeth to repentance. So when, he, when Jesus finds Peter this day, he's broken, he's humble, and he's repentant. And when God finds you in that state, he doesn't have to remind you of what you've done wrong. You already know what you did wrong. He just needs you to be, he needs you to be a place in humility, a place of brokenness, and repentance. Here's why. He wasn't interested in punishing Peter. Sometimes we think that that's the way that God likes to restore. That's not true. He wasn't interested in punishing Peter because you know why? He had just taken Peter's punishment on Friday. I mean, seriously, think about it. Why would God want to punish Peter when the purpose of him going to the cross was that he would be punished for our sins? See, a lot of times... When we look in our circumstance, we say God's punishing me. It's not necessarily that God's punishing you. God's allowing you to live in the uh, ramifications of your own decisions. God is allowing you to, like Peter was in torment, agony, shame, guilt, all that stuff. But guess what? That was because Peter was living in the natural consequences of his own actions. But God was not there beating Peter over the head because Jesus said, I took the beating on Friday for what you did. I'm, I'm not here at the beach to punish you. I'm here to restore you. I don't need punishment. I took the punishment. What I need from you is a repentant heart, a humble heart, a broken place. What does it say in the book of Psalms? God loves a broken and contrite spirit. See, 
the, the, the issue is this. I, I know I got to close. I know I got to close, but I'm, I'm preaching to someone who needs to hear this. The issue is, is that some of us are living on the wrong side of the cross. See, if Jesus had not been resurrected, you hear me? If Jesus had not been resurrected, then on this side of the cross, when Peter denied him, Peter would be forever stuck in that guilt, forever stuck in that shame, forever stuck in that place. But because Jesus resurrected, everything that he took to the cross is finished. That means this, that means on this side of the cross, okay, on this side of the cross, Jesus is saying, listen, I've already dealt with that. your, Your denial of me, your sin, not just your sin, but everyone's sin and the whole world's sin. John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus shows up that day. That's why Jesus is not interested in punishing them. He said, I've already been punished. I'm here to restore you. And here, look, listen. And remember, that does not mean that Jesus is making light of his situation or taking sin lightly. No, God took sin very seriously, so seriously that his son was killed over it. So when Jesus shows up, it's not punishment that's needed because he took it. He took the punishment for Peter. Not only that, Peter's already being punished. He's already overwhelmed with guilt and shame and condemnation. Jesus doesn't have to do any more of that. And a lot of times when we found ourselves in that place, we feel like God's, a lot of times, like I said, we're living in, in the, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And what Peter is dealing with is the effect of his sin. But Jesus shows up that day. And how does, how does Jesus restore Peter? Because Peter was repentant and humble and broken. Here's what Jesus does. He gives him mercy and grace. And I want you to stay with, I'm running out of time. Uh, I'm about to have you stand. Hold on. Mercy and grace. And they're different. Mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get more than you deserve. Put it like this. Mercy. Mercy is when the cop pulls you over and doesn't give you the ticket. That's mercy. In other words, he says, you deserve a ticket, but I'm not going to give you a ticket. That's mercy. But if the cop pulls you over, doesn't give you a ticket, and then hands you $1,000, that's called grace. Because not only, not only did you not get what you deserved, you got something you didn't deserve. And that's what Jesus is giving Peter. He's saying, okay, because you're in this place of humility, here's what I can do. I got plenty of mercy for what you've done, but I've also got grace for your situation. And he got mercy in the sense that he didn't get the punishment, but he got grace because he got his calling back that he didn't deserve. He got his purpose back that he didn't deserve. He got his destiny back that he didn't deserve. And God says, what I'm going to do for you, Peter is I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. Thank you. I'm going to restore you. But you know, true restoration can only happen in this place. You know why? Because God always has plenty of grace and mercy. But, but, but in a place of, of, of proudness, in a place of I'm going to do things my way or I got to figure it out, God can't work in that environment. Because it says he gives grace to the humble. 
it actually says, it actually says in one place that he resists the proud. Sometimes it's not the enemy resisting. Sometimes it's God. See, because Peter was in a low place, God says, I've got mercy and grace for you. And it's more than enough. And what happened that day is Peter was restored completely. And I want to end with this. I want you to stand with me to your feet. You see, originally, when Jesus speaks to Peter, he says, Peter, Satan has asked for you. You know what Satan wanted to do with Peter? Satan wanted to take Peter and put him on his shelf as a trophy of failure. Seriously, I think the enemy wanted to put Peter on the shelf like a trophy and say, ha, I took out one of God's greatest. I took out one of God's best. I think the enemy wanted to put him up there like a a trophy of failure. But Jesus was determined that Peter was going to be a trophy of grace. Peter was going to be a trophy of what it looks like to go through restoration. And guys, I want to, I'm here to tell somebody today, God is a restoration specialist. I know you're like me and you love those, 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 those shows where they show people restoring homes and restoring cars. Someone needs to get a show about showing how God restores lives because no one, no one restores like Jesus. No one restores like this. Because see, when God restores, you don't just get back what you lost. You get back some, you get back what you lost and some. You get, you come back better. You come back more than you ever thought you could be. Because when he restores, he restores well. And, and the rooster, I'm glad you said that. And guess what? From that day forward, every time he hears the rooster... He doesn't think about his failure. He thinks about his restoration. He says, wow. <laughs> Look at what I once was and what I now am. <laughs> every time he hears that plate again, every time he hears that, he thinks about God's mercy. He thinks about God's grace. He thinks about, because guess what? That St. Peter that denied him, just a few days after this event, when the Holy Spirit fell, Who's the man that gets up and preaches in front of all of Jerusalem? Peter. In, in, in Acts chapter 10, who's the man that brings the gospel to the first Gentile family? Peter. And eventually, the man who once ran cowardly and denied him was crucified in the manner of his Lord. And gave his life for Jesus. What I'm saying is he did become the man that Jesus told him he would be and that he was destined to be. But he had to go. And and, and let me say this. And I really am ending. I want to pray for us. Unfortunately, it sucks. No one enjoys this. But that's 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 the purpose of brokenness in our lives. God doesn't always cause it. Or want, does that make sense? God doesn't, obviously God didn't want Peter to stumble, but he knew Peter would stumble. God doesn't always cause it, but guess what? God will use it. God will use it. And so if you find yourself in a broken place, I don't know who I'm talking to. Just go ahead and lift your hands and raise your hands with me as we pray. 
I'm speaking today for, to those who feel like they've blown it, who feel like failures, who feel like I can, I'll never get back what I, what the, what I had. I've missed my chance. Here's another one. I've wasted time. I've wasted my opportunities. I've let the years go by. I don't feel qualified. Not only personally, but marriages, families, other situations in life. There's no limit to what God can restore. So right now they're putting these texts on the screen. I want to speak to our online audience and everyone here. Please don't move. I want to pray, but let me say this first. This is so important. For those in this room or who may be watching and you've never met the Lord, you've never accepted him uh, as your Lord and Savior and profess faith in him. We want to invite every single person to do that. That's where it begins. No type of forgiveness or healing or restoration can happen. And so that's, that, that that's, has to happen. There's no other name under heaven by which we're saved. No other, no, there's no one else that can forgive sin and heal. So we want to invite you. And if, and if you want someone to walk through that prayer with you, we want you to text a salvation to that number. And then if you need baptism or prayer, text that same number or use that QR code. We're standing by literally right now. We will get that to you today. Someone will lead you in prayer, help you uh, get set up for baptism and pray with you. And then last, before I forget to mention it, our pastor every single day sends out a devotional text. This, I love this because every single day we're reading the same scriptures, we're praying the same things, we're watching the same videos together. We want to encourage you to subscribe to that text. But with every hand lifted, we got to go. I'm only seven minutes over. It's not that bad, huh? I want you to lift your hands. Father, right now, you know, we always sing about the reckless love of God, but you know what? It's another thing to sing about it, and it's another thing to experience it. Sometimes we don't believe that God is as good as he said he says he is. And let me tell you something. God is good. Someone needs to hear this. God loves you. You may have done some bad things, horrible things. And you know what? We, you don't, we don't have to make light of that. He still loves you. And he wants to save you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. And so anyone in this room who feels disqualified from being loved by God, let me just, just tell you right now. Everyone, if, 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 our, if our mistakes disqualified us, we're all disqualified. God loves you, period. And wherever he's finding you today, his, he wants to restore and heal and save. So, Father, right now, we thank you for the reckless love of God that loves us when we're unlovable, that seeks us out when we're not even seeking him, that finds us in the lowest place, that finds us in the place of failure and pain that finds us in the place of years of built-up disappointment and anguish. And Father, I thank you that you call us to yourself, Lord. And all you call us to do, you call us to faith, to repentance, 
It's a humility so that we can receive restoration from you. Lord, I pray for those who need it individually, for those who need it as a family, for those who need it for all kinds of situations. God, I thank you that you are mighty and you are powerful to save God. I thank you that as we were singing earlier, you can do all things, Lord, all things. And even today, there's a special grace and a special anointing, though, for individuals to be raised back to purpose. Because that day, let me tell you something. Jesus raised Peter that day, not physically from the dead, but Peter was, I believe he was dead on the inside. Peter was a shell of the man he was. But when Jesus restored him, he restored him back to life. He restored him to purpose. And today, the, the Lord, for whatever reason, is emphasizing people's purpose. So I, I'm speaking, Lord, I pray that you would begin to restore individuals. You would begin to restore those who feel like they've blown it or lost it or are without hope. I thank you that your grace and your mercy will find us, God. I pray that you find them this day, even this week. And Father, I thank you that you begin a process of restoration. We thank you, Lord. And I bless your name this morning.